Good trash on our cast. People gather around a table and we discuss the films you'll never discuss in a film stays course. Sometimes we fall off futons. And I'm fine. <laughs> and uh, we are going to be looking at The Loveless this week. Um, the definite article is very, very important. It is The Loveless, not just Loveless. Yeah, that brings up all kinds of different movies. This Patty Loveless biopic was a hoot. Oh, was it? Yeah. I'm glad you got that in there. Timber, I... I am falling in love with this movie. <laughs> So uh, we're going to be doing that thing. Let's go ahead and identify these disembodied voices speaking directly to your brains. Who are you, sir? Me. I am Arthur Gordon, and this endless blacktop is my sweet eternity. Excellent, excellent. Who are you to my right, sir? My name is Dalton Stewart. And Dustin, are you on the menu? I am on the menu. My name is Dustin Sells, and I forgot all the lines, and I don't care. So uh, I'm glad to be here with you all talking The Loveless, a biker flick from 1981 or two, depending on... Somewhere in that neighborhood. Somewhere in that neighborhood. I think the international release was in 1982 under the name Breakdown, not to be confused with the remake of the Swedish film The Vanishing, but I'm trying just to be confusing for kicks and grins. I can tell. Um, But we're going to be talking about the motorcycle movie from the 80s made by director Catherine Bigelow. Is it Breakdown or Breaking Point? Uh, Breaking Point. Okay. (laughs) There's a there's a song. <laughs> Wait, hold on. We weren't supposed to watch uh, the Linda Lovelace uh, biopic starring Amanda Seyfried. Lovelace? We were not. Shit. Oh man, I don't know if I can. We do this are episode. all on separate pages today. I, I watched a do- documentary about panties. Lovelace? No, no. It that's wasn't. that's the title of the, the movie. I was just. Yeah, but I'm just making. No, his it. was love lace. Space. Oh yes, two words. Two words. Gotcha. Love okay. Stroke lace. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Careful where you put that stroke, my friend. Phrasing. Uh, it is important to point out that this His is... was Lovelace Stroke. <laughs> oh, no. This is... Mine was Stroke the Loveless. I'm going to get this ship back on track, <laughs> which is weird for me. Uh, this is the directorial debut of one Catherine Bigelow. Uh, Co-wrote although, and co-directed? Yeah, along with uh, Monty Montgomery. This is his one and only uh, writing and directing credit. Who appears in uh, Mulholland Drive. Mm, that he does. Oh, yeah, he does, doesn't he? Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's the cowboy, I believe, right? He There's is the that. cowboy. So uh, we're going to be talking about this film uh, now that we have um, definitely established which film we could possibly be talking about. Um, in case you've tuned into the Good Trash Undercast for the very first time this week, um, hi. Thanks for coming by. And uh, You could we- also tune in sober if you want. <laughs> Hi, as in hello. Oh, okay. <laughs> we, we, all the words could mean other things. <laughs> we've, we've got to make this movie entertaining. But no, yeah, this, is, this, this isn't the last podcast on the left. We're, you, you can do whatever you want. I'm not going to make you roll mm, up a big fat hog. Detective Popcorn. Oh, Detective Popcorn's in the audience I'm tonight. Drenched in butter. Ooh, I'm so salty and creamy. Mm. How are things going over there on the hot dog squad, oh, Detective man, Popcorn? You know what? They are, they are doing the job, and they are just doing some hard work <sighs> out there trying to catch villains and bad guys all the time. This is a bit that's just for you and me and maybe like two other <laughs> listeners. Yeah. You know I don't what? know. There's probably a lot more listeners of the last I, podcast I, on the left than us. That's I a good point. I listened to the last podcast some, but I actually didn't pick up that reference. You gotta go listen to the BTK series. I did. I thought. Maybe I don't remember. Detective Popcorn. Maybe I just ignore these parts and get back to the information. Probably. That's probably yep. what I... That checks out. Which is probably what most listeners are doing when you and I go off on a silly yeah, bent. Probably. Arthur. Probably so. So, um, uh, by the way, this is what we're doing uh, if uh, you're tuning in for the very first time. Uh, the thing that we do is analysis not review and so that does mean that there might be mild spoilers of the film and we are definitely going to spoil this film but we will give you the briefest of reprieves what it looks like is this we will have a synopsis from the voice of the cinema mr arthur gordon and then we will move into quick thumbs up thumbs down reviews which are spoiler free then we play a game which may or may not involve minor spoilers of this film and other films in its orbit according to the rules of said game then once that is all said and done we move into our analysis in which all spoiler bets are off you have been warned so without any further ado mr arthur gordon voice of that there cinema let's hear that synopsis please trouble ensues when a motorcycle gang stops in a small southern town while heading to the races at daytona can i tell you 
okay, so there there is trouble ensuing because they are there in town. They are, they run into conflict with various members of the community. But I was under the impression of a much more biker gang takeover of a town. I, I was also under that impression. Correct, me too. And that is not the movie we got. A lot of the stuff I read was a small baker gang terrorizes a small town. Did you say a small baker gang? Baker gang, yes. They are, uh, they're, Just they're throwing that flower. They're going to play patty cake with your wives hey. and daughters. <laughs> you know what? I, I am terrified of cupcakes myself. And so, I mean, yeah. I, yeah are you a muffin? <laughs> are you a cake? I don't know. Yeah, what, what, what monstrosity are you, really? It's not, not okay. I'm a bagel. You're a bagel? Mm. Mm. I, I don't know what pastry I would be if I were a pastry. I'm probably a pancake. I like pancakes. Because you're flat and vanilla. Flat and vanilla. Uh, okay, well, that's just... <laughs> Where's weird. the show going? What are we doing? Reviews? <laughs> I guess we've got to talk about this movie. Dalton, huh? what, were your, uh, what were your quick thumbs up, thumbs down review of uh, The Loveless? Well, listener, you're about to figure out why we're just doing so much silly stuff, because I don't know that we are going to have that much to say about this movie. Um, nope. It, it should not be surprised to longtime listeners that I'm a, a really big Catherine Bigelow fan. Uh, I like her quite a bit. I, I think she is one of the great action directors of our time. Um, and it is interesting in her first movie in a, a really small indie film to see her without that action movie budget kind of doing something different, right? Doing something a little bit more tone poemy, meditative, uh, kind of feels like a riff on Terrence Malick, right? Um, or, or as Arthur pointed out uh, off air, uh, he was the first one to watch the movie and kind of pointed that out. And I was like, okay, that'll be interesting. But man, it just... There are moments in this film that I really like. I think the opening's really interesting. Um, it's gross, but the opening, you know, 10 minutes of this movie is, is really interesting. Um, really, it's kind of terrific until the rest of Willem Dafoe's friends show up and you realize that none of the bikers know how to act except for Willem Dafoe, which is unfortunate. I, I think there are some some good performances in there. They're just really rough around the edges, and it's kind of hard to get past that for me for whatever reason. And it just kind of held me at arm's length because so much of this movie is just kind of hanging out with these people. And when the performances don't grab you, a hanging out movie has to have something else going on. And I just don't know that there's that much else going on in this film. Um, it's, it's got some great music selections, some really fun period music. Uh, this is set in the 50s. This has already been mentioned. Um, I, I think there's some interesting dynamics introduced throughout this town. Um, it, it is interesting to see this biker gang that kind of represents this, you know, this wild, unrestrained id roll into this uh, small town where everybody is extremely horny. The entire town is just really horned up and repressed, and it does kind of play interesting, that dynamic. But overall, I just couldn't get into this movie. I found myself bored to tears, uh, and that's pretty rare for me. I, I can usually find something to, to latch on to in most things, but... I mean, for God's sakes, we just talked about three Spider-Man movies, and uh, I, I'm here to tell you, Spider-Man 1's a lot more boring than I remembered. Uh, but even with that, I mean, there, there's still a lot going on to pull you in, and for whatever reason, I just could not... I would have rather watched K-19 The Widowmaker. That's the sub-movie she did, right? I always get that in U-571 mixed up. I, I just... For whatever reason, I couldn't get into it. So I'm I'm pretty bleh on this. I don't I don't hate it. I I can see the craft on display. You can see the talent that that would uh, soon come to fruition uh, in Big Low's career. But uh, yeah, it didn't do a whole lot for me. All righty. Well, thank you very much for that, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Mr. Arthur Gordon, what do you say in terms of your thumbs up, thumbs down review? Um, I I don't know that I'm really negative or positive on it. I, I it's to me it's just more interesting to see this kind of the the beginnings of. Uh, Catherine Bigelow, I, uh, like Dalton said, you see a lot of what she would go on to do, I think, uh, visually and things of that nature, but also, I think, thematically. Um, There's a bit of that, yeah. What she's kind of bringing up, these outsiders, people searching for something, I think, are some themes that would kind of play through her, the rest of her filmography. Um, the score is really good, and uh, the uh, Davis, who's Robert Gordon, uh, was a rockabilly star who kind of composed a lot of the music for this film and the yeah. soundtrack for this film is that's is pretty him. cool. And I believe he's Davis is the the other main biker that we first meet. When yeah, he's we got go to the, the flat diner. top looking thing. Yeah, yeah, the one without sideburns. Yeah, yes. uh, but I, I think you're right. I think this movie is a lot more interesting before they show up. But uh, I, I like a lot of what she's doing. You know, or they're doing. I shouldn't keep referring to it as just her movie because she does have a co-director here and a co-writer. Uh, but a lot of those kind of wide shots with the long depth of field are really good. And this kind of very static camera movements, which are a little different from what we'd see later on. Uh, because when you're in action, you can't use static camera movements uh, very often. Um, but I think it's laying the groundwork for her career and, and where she'd go. And uh, 
Willem Dafoe's great. This is his uh, stated as his uh, feature debut. Uh, so you're kind of getting a bit of history here. He's very raw. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and uh, as Dustin had mentioned off air, he's not the uh, kind of over the top manic uh, Willem Dafoe that we would come to know. It's a very, very raw, very kind of downplayed uh, performance. And uh, I think it's uh, I think it's fun to see this uh, kind of beginnings for both of them. And uh, so for that uh, alone, it's of interest. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm not really positive or negative on it. I'm just kind of intrigued by it more than anything, I think. Absolutely, absolutely. Thank you very much for that, Mr. Arthur Gordon. I'm in the same place. Um, it's a really good student film, and uh, that's what it is. It, it, it's, it, it's a really, really top-shelf student film project. And Yeah, go ahead. Well, this isn't a knock on anything there, but this feels like something you definitely see at like a Dead Center or, or, or a similar small yeah. film festival. And... I mean, yeah, you, you can tell the, the budget is limited, right? When I hear a movie's got a biker gang in it, I, I expect a lot more motorcycle riding. Uh, but, you know, shooting around motorcycles is dangerous and expensive, and if you want to do it right, it takes money. Mm-hmm. So, And one of their motorcycles is broken, and so that's the crux of the film is yeah. getting this movie that's Literally, fixed. as soon as the conceit <laughs> of the movie I realized was, oh, shit, they're not going to get to go anywhere because one of the motorcycles is broken. When I realized that's what I was in for, I was like, oh, son of a bitch. That's what this movie is? Yeah. Uh, okay. I, I was much more up for them taking over the town. Yeah, same. But um, nonetheless, um, it is uh, – Willem Dafoe is interesting to see. Uh, early Bigelow's early to see, uh, or interesting to see, excuse me. Um, the music is interesting. I do feel like this movie is like 10 years ahead of its time. It feels like if this movie was released, you know, in the wake of Twin Peaks and uh, True Romance and some of these other things that were happening in the 90s, um, that sort of uh, 50s nostalgia, that sort of rockabilly uh, resurgence that's going on in that moment with David Lynch, with other filmmakers, um, it might have uh, done more uh, commercially well. I think it still would have been as critically um, sort of passed um, as it is. But that being said, it does feel – it feels a little soon in that way. Um, I think the film's interesting because you see – the Bigelow's that we could have had, um, the various tracks that uh, Bigelow could have run down. There's there's a way in which she looks very much. This film looks very much like the Cinema du Luc uh, films Luc Besson and others um, are putting together. Um, uh, Karach, uh, who does uh, Holy Motors, uh, is part of that sort of movement in the ABC sort of very slick, stylish uh, action genre pieces. So it's got some of that going on for it. It's also very part of that sort of New York no wave, um, very very talky, very very. Very sort of slice of life uh, kind of feeling that you might have from like a Jim Jarmusch film or an Amos Poe film. Uh, Robert Gordon actually was in an Amos Poe film later, and so there's uh, there's some you know real organic connection to uh, No Wave uh, going on. And this is all the sort of punk movement, um, punk movie scene of the '80s in New York at the time, which it seems like Bigelow is a part of. So it's artifactually interesting is what I would say. It, it is something in the archives that is worth dusting off and looking at, but uh, as a film itself, it, the ennui that it has, which is r- very reminiscent of like A Stranger in Paradise or something like that from uh, Jarmusch, that sort of just we're bored and we're waiting kind of sense. I thought a lot about, I, I know I've mentioned this movie on the show before, but I, I thought a lot about the uh, the movie The Doom Generation, the Greg Rocky movie. I think mm-hmm. that's how you say his name with Rose McGowan. I thought a lot about that, but mostly because I think that that film's doing a lot of the same things, but better. better. Yeah. yeah, and it's it is kind of got that that retro rockabilly thing with the main characters and their style, and it's got these city kids going through small towns thing, and but it's weirder and yeah, more interesting. And, and it's a fun throwback homage to the Ruffies, this sort of exploitation motorcycle picks of the '60s, mm-hmm. and so it's got you know got got that going for it as well. So it is it is an interesting sort of odd. Um, curiosity that you might see at a uh, roadside attraction as you're driving down the interstate and you pull over and take a look at it on your cinematic uh, journey to Daytona. But, yeah, it's not... That's a fun metaphor you just did there. It's not amazing. Um, and so that that's where I lie as well uh, with you, Jen. So there you go, dear listener. You see our biases. They are meh. We are, we are definitely meh on this film, but we don't hate it. So there's that. No. So uh, anyway, now you know where we're coming from in terms of our appreciation of the film. We want you to be part of this conversation with us, and we have to do that since this is an internet podcast. We have to do it via the internet. So tell uh, the dear listener how they can be part of the conversation internet-tually. That's a fun word that you just made up. Hi, it's that time of the show where I talk for a while and I look at Dustin and Arthur to gauge how bored they are to figure out how quickly I should wrap it up. Um, 
First and foremost, if you want to talk to us, the best way to do that is probably going to be on Twitter. That's at good underscore trash. Uh, that's where we talk about not just this show, but also the uh, praise down with Heath and Alex. Um, anything else that we're planning on doing, that's where we announced our uh, bonus episode of Hereditary that you probably have heard at this point. Um, so, yeah, we went and saw Hereditary uh, Thursday night when it came out, and we had a great time doing that. Uh, we had a guest spot from our very own Frightful Femme, Kirsten Thurkelson. So it's a good time. Uh, if you haven't listened to that yet, go do that. Be warned, it is spoilery as fuck, despite our uh, best efforts not to. We were so excited that we could not restrain ourselves. Um, Arthur uh, had a lot of fun on there this week. Uh, he he asked people what the movies that uh, really scared them were, because Hereditary was, uh, you know, had this big buzz about how scary it was, and uh, had a lot of fun on there, learning what frightens people. Um, so that was that was a fun time on there. So if you you, you want to go have fun talking about movies with us, at good underscore trash is the best way to do that. We're also on Facebook. But you shouldn't be, and we probably shouldn't be either. Moving on. Uh, if you want to send us long-form feedback, you can do that uh, via the Gmail account. That's goodtrashgenrecast at gmail.com if you want to spew words at us. And if you, you have a, a much stronger feelings about the Loveless than we do, um, let us know, uh, because I would love to uh, to find somebody who really, really is passionate about this film, and I'd like to know what they think about it, what they think works about it. Um, it would mean a lot to us uh, if you would rate, review, and subscribe to this show, however you put it in your ear, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, what have you. Uh, it does a lot for the visibility and uh, getting the word out. But if you really want to get the word out, a much easier way to do that is just tell people you like. Tell people you know who uh, like podcasts or film or both, and uh, say, hey, these three dipshits are kind of fun, and I like listening to them talk about movies. Uh, that That's the best way to, to get involved and be, be part of this grand experiment is uh, just tell somebody you like. Uh, lastly, if you want to help us keep the lights on, help us uh, stay on the air, as it were. We're not on the air. It's an internet show, but you know what I mean. Uh, that's going to be patreon.com forward slash GTM for more info on getting involved. Uh, we have a very exciting project coming up over there for bonus content where we're going to watch... Um, Oh, my God. Uh, Steven Soderbergh's HBO series. Uh, Dustin, what's the name of that show Mosaic. again? Mosaic. Mosaic, which also has a, a web browser experience and an app experience. It's you know, it's, it's Soderbergh. He's doing weird experiments because that's where he's at in his career, and he wants to play around with the form. So we're going we're gonna to have some fun playing around with that. Um, that's some Patreon content you have, forward, uh, have to look forward to. So, again, that's patreon.com forward slash GTM if you want to give us money. All righty. Well, thank you very much for that, Mr. Dalton Stewart. I think now it is definitely time to play the game. And we are back, dear listener, with this week's game, our favorite cinematic bad boys. That's right. Favorite cinematic bad boys brought to you by The Loveless. The Loveless starring Willem Dafoe. Willem Dafoe. Mm, what a bad boy. Leather clad Willem Dafoe. Uh, yes, he's, he's a fo- he's a fox in this movie, right? Yeah, I mean, come on, <laughs> yeah, he's looking good. Jeez, Louise, guys, he just he, yeah, he's pulling it off. Yeah, he is very gross in this movie, though, and yes. uh, decidedly a bad boy. Yes, he is. So we're going to pick our favorites from cinema. So I'll go to you first, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Who is your first favorite cinematic bad boy? Uh, well, it is uh, uh, Vance's uh, spiritual son, Bodie, uh, in Point Break. Hell yeah, uh, because he's so cool. That scruffy little beard and that wild hair, just loose locks swinging in the ocean, Mwah. is peak Swayze. He's uh, so good. And he's such a great character. He can't he's, love anybody because he loves the ocean. Yeah. The spiritual connection. He's got a great dynamic with Keanu Reeves, and I think it's just a, a great performance, and I think it's very memorable, and he's just a lot of fun, and uh, his ideology brings an interesting dynamic to that plot and that narrative, and so... Uh, I think he elevates that film quite a bit, uh, and uh, Swayze's just so great in that role. It's truly one of the great love stories of our time. It is. It really is. And so my first pick is going to be Bodie. I totally agree. I wish you had been on that episode so much. I know. We had fun talking about it, just you and me, though. Yeah, we had a good time. Yeah. So, Dalton, what is your number first pick for favorite cinematic bad boys? My number first pick is a a bad boy that I'm pretty sure I've talked about before, but look, you got to love Steve McQueen as Cool Hand Luke. He's uh, just yeah. one of the all-time great bad boys uh, who can eat 50 eggs. Who does that? 
Who eats 50 eggs? I think my cholesterol would kill me if I tried. I would literally drop dead. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I need to rewatch that movie. It's actually been probably about eight or nine years since I've seen it at this point. Um, but I just, I love that movie. I, I think it's absolutely great. It was one of those movies that I was just like, fine, I'll watch it because I kept getting told I should. And I absolutely adored it. Uh, I, I think it's fantastic. Um, I, again, haven't seen it in a long time. I don't know if there's some things in there that I, I, I would find off-putting now. But uh, Stephen Queen, uh, literally, I could have picked any Stephen Queen movie. I could have picked Bullet. I, I could have picked anything because he's just he was just a bad boy. Uh, and he, he was absolutely was. very good at it. The baddest of boys. You really set the tem- template for uh, who, who, how do you be cool in a Hollywood movie? Uh, Stephen Queen. He, he really uh, set the, the benchmark very high. And uh, you, you can't get much better than Cool Hand Luke. All right. Very, very good. Um, my first selection is uh, Philip Marlowe as played by one Humphrey Bogart in The Big Sleep. Uh, he is not a good guy, but he's – Nope. You know, he's a bad boy, but he's you know trying to be a hero in some ways as well. And uh, I just love that about him, and he is always uh, pulling the rook on somebody. And uh, good times would be had by all. Recommend The Big Sleep very, I very really highly. thought you were going to go That was going to be one of my picks, actually. I thought oh, you were going to so, go yeah. with Elliot Gould, Philip Marlowe. Nah. Really tired bad boy. Yeah, he's very <laughs> – very sleepy bad boy. He's a hungover bad boy in that The case. whole movie. The the entire time. You know what yeah. one of my favorite touches in the movie is? Is uh, that he lights his match on uh, the, the, wall. the wall behind his bed. And if you look, there's just like this just giant black mark on his wall from all the times he struck the match. That's a great, that's that's just, a great piece. That's great production design. Yeah, it's good design. All right, moving on. Number next, what do you say, Arthur? Favorite cinematic bad boys. Well, this is a package deal because mm. you don't get one without the other. Uh-oh. Uh, and it is truly the greatest American romance of all time, and that is Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Uh, mm-hmm. um, Redford and, oh, my goodness. Shit, I can't remember Newman. Either. Yeah, wow, yeah, that would have been I, embarrassing. I was going to catch you up, yeah. That would have been bad. Uh, but yeah, Newman and Redford are just uh, a wonderful pair, and their dynamic is great, and that movie is wonderful. Mm. And so I, I don't know how much else I could say about how much. I, I can't talk today. I'm having a Dalton day. Ooh, My no. words are failing me, so oh, I'm not no. going to say much more. You just got to do what I do and just power through just it. Just get through it. Just push on through. Yeah, with additional words. Yeah, um, you yeah. just keep <laughs> jamming more words in your flubs. I just, it's naturally going to raise my percentage up because I'm just getting more <laughs> words in uh, per second. Um, yeah, uh, I got to say Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid, though. I think it's a, they're a great couple of bad boys. You know, they are just out to uh, – I, I, I feel like they're very Bodhi in a lot of their ideology, too. They're just yeah. Uh, Ooh, yeah. kind of searching. And so uh, – I, that's my second pick. Nice. I like it very much. Uh, Mr. Dalton Stewart, what do you say? What is your number next pick for favorite cinematic bad boy? Well, my v- number next pick is going to be a little bit of a cheat, actually. Uh, I am going to go with uh, Jughead from Riverdale. Uh, uh, played by, <laughs> I can't remember which Sprouse brother. I always screw it up. Dylan Cole? I'm going to double check. Todd. Ju- just so I don't feel like a jerk, it's Cole Sprouse. Uh, as Jughead Todd. Jones in Riverdale. Um, what a great show. I just finished season two. This is... Season two of Riverdale burns through plot faster than any show I have ever watched. It burns through like three seasons worth of plot in one season. Uh, but in this season, the uh, the the lone aspiring novelist, uh, the loner Jughead Jones, ends up becoming the king of a biker gang. It's a whole thing. It's insane. <laughs> he he pulls knives on people like three or four times. It's absolutely bonkers, and uh, Cole Sprouse just totally sells it. Uh, this uh, this forlorn uh, loner kid who finds his family in uh, this biker gang that uh, his dad used to be part of, and uh, it's it's completely silly and absurd, but uh, works very well for this kind of uh, Lynchian um, homage that they're doing over on Riverdale. It, it really is. What if Twin Peaks had also been on the CW, or at that at that time, the, at that time the WB? Um, yeah, it just totally works. And that performance, um, look, Cole Sprouse does not look like a bad boy, and that's part of why it works. It works perfectly. If Twin Peaks had been on the, the WB, it would have ran for about five seasons, got canceled, and picked up by UPN, and ran for another three. That's yes, it would have. That's absolutely correct. And then when the CW merger happened, it probably would have gone for another three. Yep. 
Yep, totally, totally agree. Uh, my number next pick is uh, one James Dean from Rebel Without, Rebel Without a Cause. I mean, yeah, one of the original bad boys. The bad boy. The bad boy. is. It, I mean, it's an iconic performance. It's the, the sort of uh, ascendancy of the method in acting, and it's an iconic role. I'm, I, I don't know what else I need to say. I mean, it's James Dean, uh, Rebel Without a Cause, of course, and naturally. So moving on, number last, Mr. Arthur Gordon, what is your selection? I'm going to go with the driver from Drive. Um, oh, nice. He's yep. cool, calm, collected, but he's got that dangerous side. He's got that mystique. He's real sexy. He's he's the the kind of bad boy where you're like, I can't tell if he's a bad boy or he's just not good at talking. <laughs> yeah, there is that. Yeah, really playing into the coolest guy is the guy that talks less. School of being cool. Yeah, uh, but man, Gosling just nails that role uh, so well, and he's got this kind of nice sweetness to him once in a while but yeah he's real dangerous especially if you get in an elevator with him yes indeed thank you very much for that mr arthur gordon mr donald Stewart, what's your number last pick for favorite cinematic bad boys my next uh pick my final pick is uh, a bad boy that does the exact opposite school of the driver he talks all the time and asserts his dominance through conversation it is one detective alonzo harris played by the incomparable denzel washington in nice. training day i thought he was gonna mention himself for a second no not me America's bad boy, Dalton Stewart. No, that's not a thing anymore. <laughs> We're going to put that to bed. Uh, yeah, no. It, look, we, we we have sung the praises of Denzel endlessly on this show. Uh, we've also sung his praises in that movie endlessly on this show. But uh, he was literally one of the first people that came to mind. The look is great. The style's great. Um, the, the conversation is great. I, again, I, I think that's part of what makes that character work so well is it's the exact opposite of the driver. The driver exudes coolness by never talking. He exudes coolness by being the boss of every conversation, and owning every situation, yep. every time, uh, until he doesn't. And you know, that's how that movie goes. Awesome. Awesome. I like that pick very much. My last selection is, uh, the, uh, bad boy sort of bad boy meta commentary the send up the satire the ironic bad boy and i'm looking at the character of james hurley from twin peaks who is motorcycle riding uh, sort of character but he's also the sweet dopey dumb character there's a great line where laura palmer says he's so sweet but he's also so dumb and uh, i just kind of love that about james he's just such a dope but he's also uh, very much a biker guy he gets into uh, season two he gets into sort of a postman rings twice kind of uh, narrative for a little while Ooh. And, uh, you know, he's just, he's ridiculous. And I like how ridiculous it is. Lynch is doing something very, very much on purpose there with Mark Frost, the other co-writer on the series. And I like James Hurley a lot as a character. And because he is, um, you're supposed to hate him. I, like, the first time I watched the series, I'm like, I hate James. James is so stupid. I'm so sick of James. J what is James doing? And now I'm like, oh, that's what he's doing because he's not doing it right. He's a bad boy who's just bad at being a bad boy. So that is my number last pick as well. Dear listeners, we'd love to hear your picks uh, via those magical means of social media already mentioned earlier in the show. But now, my friends, it is time to get down to business. It's business. It's business time. I know what you're trying to say. You're trying to say it's time for business. It's business time. You know what time it is. It is time for business, and that business is, as always, analysis. And uh, we're going to try to do that now uh, with some effort. Uh, that's what I would say. So let's do the thing that we did last time. We were talking about Sam Raimi and the Spider-Man films. And, the, you know, so we did a two-parter on Spider-Man, and Spider-Man's come up twice already in this show. So you see how much more we'd rather be well, talking. Well, we do have Willem Dafoe, so, I mean, there's a natural thread there that there is reminding us of those movies. Yeah, okay, well, I'm glad you gave me an excuse there. But uh, <laughs> what we're doing here is that we're seeing that Catherine Bigelow um, goes on to have a pretty interesting career, and this film is connected to that insofar as it is her first film. So how do we place this film thematically within her oeuvre? What do you say, gentlemen? Well, I, I, I followed up today. I wanted to try – I was trying to get some more stuff. A lot of her early – I really wanted to watch Near Dark, and the, she does a detective one with uh, Jamie Lee Curtis I was kind of interested in. Both of those are hard to find. Yeah. And Near Dark took me years to find. Yeah. And, and so I was kind of disappointed. And then I was going to try to watch – and I was put off from watching the older – you know, Hurt Locker and uh, Zero Dark and um, Detroit because they're super long. Uh, but I, I went back to watch Point Break um, just, you know, just to get some more Bigelow. And I think thematically there's a thread there because, especially with Bodie's gang, right? I, f I feel like Bodie's gang is the natural evolution of Vance's gang, right? These kind of outsiders, they're just rolling through wherever the, you know, wherever the water takes them, uh, wherever the waves take them. 
and just kind of constantly on the search for something. And I really feel that's what um, Vance's gang is, is doing. They're kind of they're they're trodden the road. They're these outsiders on the kind of on the fringes of the society and, and they don't know what they're looking for. They're looking for something more. And I think that's a, a theme that Bigelow kind of goes back to, even in Zero Dark Thirty. Uh, Jessica Chastain's character is kind of isolated. She's kind of on the outside of her her uh, society that she uh, revolves in, and uh, she's on the search for something. You know, even when that case is over, and she's sitting in that carrier, uh, it, it feels like she's kind of still looking for something. Like there's not a fulfillment there for that character. And so I think it's definitely a a thread that Bigelow keeps going back to and, and keeps trying to find. And I think even stylistically we see some threads. Uh, a lot of those kind of uh, natural static shots are, are echoed in Point Break. There's a lot of stuff, especially on the surf and on the beach. There's a lot of kind of natural photography of the waves. And She does uh, seem to be very interested in water in general, oceans. Yeah, and, and so I think even you know stylistically – uh, we're seeing some of that stuff. Of course, you know, Point Break's a lot faster and it's a lot bigger. Uh, but she takes a lot of time in that film to just let it rest and let it uh, wash over you, if you will. Uh, especially in that uh, the parachuting scene when they skydive out of that plane. You know, the music there and the kind of the way that becomes almost a spiritual moment for, for uh, Johnny, Utah, uh, especially. Uh, I, I think there's that moment of meditation and resonance. Uh, that she's trying to play with and deal with stylistically, at least. Uh, but I think thematically, this is really kind of where a lot of her seeds are planted uh, into what she'd want to explore a little later on. And so I, I think there's a lot of recognition of what she would do later. And, and I don't know, you know, how much say she had. You know, it is a co uh, co-direction. It is co-written uh, with Monty Montgomery. So I don't know how much influence he has here as well. But um, I, I think it's an interesting starting point for her career. Yeah, I do see also that she is very interested in genre pieces in general, that she's, oh, she's yeah. definitely a, a genre filmmaker who is also doing the elevation thing with genre. And, uh, you know, that's just, you know, we see that beginning from the outset. Yeah. And so and it's a thing that she continues to do uh, throughout her career. I, I, oh, go ahead, Arthur. Well, I was just going to say there are a couple of other titles, and I think Dustin can kind of speak to this uh, better than us, but – um. There are a couple of titles associated with the influence on this film. One is The Wild Ones, uh, but the other is Kenneth Anger's uh, Scorpio Rising. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I was just wondering kind of where you saw those influence and, and how much influence is actually, you yeah. know, think there. I mean, The Wild Ones I haven't seen in a very, very long time. And it's a biker movie, and they're wearing the biker leathers. And, and so there, there are some sort of aesthetic sort of cues that you see uh, from The Wild One and Marlon Brando in this film. But I do think it relies much more heavily on Scorpio Rising, uh, Kenneth Anger's film, uh, for a couple of reasons. Uh, first of all, the fetishization of male bodies, uh, that she is definitely a female uh, filmmaker who likes looking at men. And uh, and I like the sort of you know juxtaposition of the sort of typical male gaze that she does there and the use of popular music. Uh, Kenneth Anger's doing both of those things uh, in his extraordinarily homoerotic sort of retelling of the life of bikers. But you're right, though. Her and Monty Montgomery are oogling everyone in this film. Yeah. I, I mean, and that's – I think you're right that – the the female gaze the straight female gaze on male bodies is interesting but in this film i think it's even more so or at least as interesting because the camera in this film is all over everyone's body yeah so i mean it, but i would say you know and it, i i read some of the same uh, articles that you read i think arthur where it talks quite a bit about the wild ones and, and i mean yeah kind of they're bikers they want to be free they're getting bullied by people in the towns you know no one trusts them and they sort of can't you know can't win for losing is is the sort of thing that everybody's against them, and that's sort of why they act the way they act. There is some of that sort of narrative at work in uh, both films, but it is more the style and the sort of eroticism of uh, Scorpio Rising that seems to really permeate this film in ways that The Wild Ones really doesn't have it. And so I would I would definitely lean much more heavily on The Wild Ones, which has got a great sort of Marlon Brando impersonator who is usually on the cover of most of the, uh, the DVDs or uh, posters uh, for that film. So that's where I'd place that. It's much closer to Kenneth Anger. I think um, for me, I, I thought a lot about Strange Days, uh, the, the VR movie she made in 95, I think, with uh, Ray Fiennes. I forgot that. That was her. I've seen yeah. that movie. That's crazy. Okay, go on. I, I just, in, in terms of both of them being films that are kind of, of about fantasy and desire and, uh, again, obviously with Point Break, I, I think you're right, Arthur, there's kind of that continuity of, of free spirits and, and the ways in which 
uh, society cannot abide that. Uh, but I think with Strange Days, I think what what happens there is much more similar, uh, less so than you know the biker gang, and more similar to the town, right? The town that represents the ways in which people with roots have uh, much more repression going on, uh, and that's kind of what Strange Days is, is about: is the, the repression of society to the extent that. Yeah, sure. In a big metropolis, all the vices are open to you, but people are still watching you. In fact, there's more people watching you all the time. And where where do, does that those two things hit each other, right? Uh, because you know the the bikers they never say where they're from, or at the very least, they say they're from Detroit. Uh, but Willem Dafoe says he's actually from New York, but it's kind of unclear if if the truth is being told. I think, um, but they you know they they represent this this outside um, urban influence, this uh, metropolitan influence coming into the rural areas. And I think with Strange Days, there is that play on what does the the freewheeling um, accessibility of vice of a major city, what does that do and how are people in, in places where those things are available to them still repressed just in a different way? And that, so I think that's kind of interesting that she continues to play with with those ideas, you know, uh, over ten years later in, in the film Strange Days. And again, that's obviously a film that's much more about technology. It's also a mystery film. It has a much more it's a much more plot driven narrative. Uh, but I, I think it, at the end of the day, it does end up being a lot about sex and sexuality, but also violence and and how those those two things become intertwined in gross ways. Absolutely, absolutely. So, uh, okay, I think we've had a pretty good little talk there about the uh, sort of uh, placing this film, situating this film uh, within the uh, Bigelow uh, filmography. Let's talk about toxic masculinity because, uh, yeah, it's um, it is it is radioactive in this particular film. So, uh, why, why do we say that? I guess somebody, I'm gonna, I'm give it to one of you two to do. Tell us why this masculinity is so toxic and as uh, trigger warning, trigger warning, trigger warning, and as uh, careful ways as possible um, that you can. I'm looks like Dalton's volunteering, so I'm going to let you do it. All right. Well, I, I just happened to change my posture, but okay. I will, well, I'll, I'll handle this, this hot potato. Um, so, yeah, I mean the film opens with uh, Defoe's character sexually assaulting uh, a woman who needs a, her tire changed and uh, robbing her, right? And it's kind of – it's a very interesting the way that scene is shot and played. It's a playful scene in ways that are kind of weird. And I, 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 my best guess is what is being gone for is the ways in which Defoe's character Vance doesn't really think anything of this exchange. Um, it, it just is a moment for him to get what he wants and be weird and mess with somebody. Cause that's kind of what he does throughout this film is just mess with people. That's all he does. He just kind of enjoys throwing a wrench in people's day. He is a real kind of chaotic douchebag. Um, yeah, he's a trickster God sort of Yeah, real yeah. chaotic neutral type, right? He's mm-hmm. not, he's not outright evil. Evil's the wrong word for what he is, but he is, a jerk mm-hmm. uh, and just wants to fuck with people as much as possible. And sometimes that includes, you know, being really gross and uh, violating their bodily autonomy. Um, so we move from that though, into this town and we see that this town is just as bad, if not worse than he is. Right. Uh, this is a town that is all about controlling people. Um, this is kind of most typified by, um, I can't think of his name, because um, the character names don't really matter in this film. They don't even get said that much. Uh, but the the rich guy in town who's siphoning yeah. oil off a pipeline. Um, well, it turns out uh, Willem Dafoe has a relationship with this rich guy's daughter, and uh, there's some, some abuse going on there. There's some sexual abuse going on there. That, Incest. Well, yeah. yeah. I would name it that way, yeah. I think. Well, I was going to say rape, but yeah, I mean, yes. Uh, that culminates in her killing her father and then herself, and that's the end of the film. And it's Willem Dafoe just kind of remarking on, well, that was fucked up. Time to go. And, and I, I think it is interesting to start the film with that, that attack and then end the film uh, with the retribution for a, a much more um, systematic type of uh, violation than happens in the beginning of that film. Um, and I think my best guess is what Bigelow and, and Montgomery are trying to do here is comment on the ways in which uh, – societies or towns, you know, civilization looks down on people who eschew civilization, right? Oh, they're these bikers. They just want to come through and party and ruin everything. 
But then we get to the bar, how this town winds down at the end of a long day. They're just as wild and crazy as these bikers. The waitress from the diner does a full striptease in this bar, uh, just for no reason other than it's what she wants to do. Uh, and, you know, we've got this guy who's getting liquored up and trying to convince his brother to murder these bikers, the same guy who's been, you know, systematically uh, raping his daughter. This is a, a town full of wild, gross people. Uh, I shouldn't even say gross. Some of them are not gross. They're just kind of weird and sexually repressed. Some of them are straight-up villains. Uh, and the ways in which they interact with these bikers it kind of informs that, right? It, it informs the ways in which we, we look at people's masculinity um, or toxicity, regardless of whether or not it's tied to masculinity. And we look at toxicity and try to say, well, that's different from the ways in which I'm bad. Uh, because at least I have a house, right, or, you know, whatever the situation calls for. Um, and, and I think it is very interesting the ways in which the toxic masculinity of the bikers is much more playful um, and less evil than that portrayed by the people of the town. Um, I mean, you've got these guys who are, you know, playing around uh, by throwing switchblades at each other's feet. I mean, that's about the dumbest dude thing I've ever seen. <laughs> Good Lord. That's so dangerous. And that's that is what their um, their villainy and their toxicity is limited to, kind of each other. Honestly, yeah. is like how dangerous can we be towards each other? Like how how hard can we like push our limits with each other? With other people, they're just kind of mean and abrasive. They don't really ever attack anybody. And that's yeah. that's kind of the thing that I think is interesting about the bikers in this film, right? It does set up that they're going to terrorize this town. They don't really terrorize this town. They just kind of pick on people. Yeah. And I found that very interesting. Do you, do you have any thoughts on that, Arthur, on the ways in which they're less um, attacky and just more obnoxious? It's more that their existence unsettles the town, mm -hmm. right? Because of their rootlessness. I mean, yeah. that, that's – and I, we're moving into this thread. So we're moving now to talk about this idea of the free uh, open road versus the rooted I live in a town kind of thing. Go ahead. Well, that, I mean, that was just kind of the, the crux of that, right? I mean, I, I, I feel like – uh, yeah, it, it's doing that thing uh, we get sometimes. I think Lynch does this a little bit, and as uh, Mecca's has done it some. But it's that idea of like looking back at the good old days and then pointing out uh, these. You know, the good old days weren't so good. You know, the the white people. You know, they weren't so great. You know, we still got abuse and we still got oppression and we still got all these problems in, in play. But uh, just the way the picture was painted uh, kind of came off a little different than we remember it. And so, you know, we, we talk about reminiscing about how these were the good old days. The 50s were the good old days and the American dream and things like that. Meanwhile, but, Willem Dafoe's love interest doesn't want to go to the closest liquor store because it's run by black people. And they yeah. make her feel, quote, dirty. Yeah. Yeah. The shit. Yeah. And, and the things that kind of go on behind closed doors in suburbia aren't, mm -hmm. aren't as great as we like to remember them. And, and the kind of the, the societal villains that well, are, are given to us aren't quite as bad as, you know, they, they're made out to be. They're just kind of a scapegoat for the problems that come through. Yeah, I mean, it really is sort of an indictment of humanity. Humans are bad. I mean, we just, you know, we, we tend to do terrible yeah, things. Yeah, rooted or unrooted. Yeah, and, and, and that is really the point, uh, I, it seems to me, is that, you know, we've got uh, this town full of people that are doing terrible things. We've got this, you know, system, systematic rape going on of one character. We've got stealing the, the, the oil. We've got the sexual repression. And then we've got the sort of red scare sort of paranoia that's going on. And then we've got these bikers who are also not playing by the rules, but they're not playing nice with anybody either. They're forming a different sort of countercultural community, which is the real sort of thing that's going on in the 50s into the 60s with the sort of uh, Hell's Angels sort of counterculture. And because it's a youth culture, they they are being abrasive just to be different. I mean, that's sort of the, 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 the fundamental flaw in that sort of community base. And so you do see the racism. You do see the swastika tattoo mm -hmm. on one of their hands. And, and, you know, that sort of swastika imagery was very, very popular with the Hells Angels at that time. Not so much because um, many of them were fascists or Nazis, although many of them were indeed racist. Yeah, I mean, they had bylaws saying that only white people and I, I think some chapters let Latinos in. But, yeah, they were pretty fucking they, racist. They are pretty, pretty racist, you know. But then not so not necessarily i guess uh, endorsing a systematic sort of uh, fascist sort of uh, you know milton friedonian kind of Mil milton friedman kind of yeah it's ha. it's less clans uh, racism and more just tribal racism yeah, yeah. not that that's any better but, but yeah it's, it, a, it's a different species is what yeah. i'd say but partly they wanted to do that german stuff because it made everybody mad 
I mean, they're and Hunter yeah. S. Thompson talks about that a lot. It's just, just trolls. They're, they're, yeah, they're trolls. They're just you know, oh, this this bothers you. Oh, I will turn that up to eleven now. Thank you very much. And so there's a lot of that going on as well. God, you're right. Biker gangs are just more aggro four chan users. Damn, we cracked a nut today. Yeah. Oh, we hit something today. Yeah, that that, that that's a thing, really. That, that, Damn. Yeah, no, I mean, there is a through line, right, of the ways in which um, uh, people who feel ostracized lash out at society at large, right? And yeah. I, I think you're right. It's It has nothing to do with their ideology, although, again, there's plenty of people online who are actual racists. But sure, of course Then there's are. also people who are racist because they think it's cute to be abrasive and haven't really yeah. thought about how their abrasiveness is just downright evil. And I and I think there's a spectrum of that within the sort of biker culture oh, for sure. of the yeah. 60s. And, that, and that, that's not, I'm not trying to excuse or trying to say that there isn't the other sort of extreme, extraordinarily bothersome thing. But there's also the less bothersome, just I'm putting this thing I, I would say equally bothersome, just bothersome in a different D- Different way. kind of bothersome, yeah. Yeah, and I, I think you're right, though. It, it's important to name that and try to tease that out and figure yeah. and understand that. I I think a little bit, and so it, it, it's a weird sort of thing that's going on there. Um, this movie does do some stuff with class as well. The, the reason why the bikers are looked down about because they don't have money, they don't have you know a ton of cash lying around. That they, they are acquiring their money not from jobs or not you know endorsing the sort of capitalist dream. And as such, the people in town are like, no, you guys are just outside, and we just want you out. Not because of anything really particular that they've done. Even when they're rude in the restaurant, you know, eating in the diner, they're yeah, they're kind of rude, but they're. I mean, it's nothing that I would see somebody getting thrown out of a restaurant, you know, for. Yeah. So, I mean, just, we just don't like you because you're dirty, you're greasy, and you're, you know, not um, different middle class like the rest of us. Right. I don't know if the town's middle class. I think the town's that's all working, class. working. They're kind of working poor to, yeah, I, I guess the guy stealing oil's got money. But, I mean, they're it's a small, run-down truck town. stop town. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And these guys are just nomads. Yeah. I mean, which is kind of its own. Again, it, it's less about class, I think, and more about uh, people who choose to live in society and people who choose to live outside of society. And, yeah, they come from urban centers, uh, allegedly, but they don't really have any desire to stay in them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then, I mean, they just—I mean, the place they want to be is not even in the town. It's not even in the city. It's the place in between. Yeah, I mean, they're definitely a limited yeah. margin. They want to go to Daytona, but that's just part of it. I think a big part of it is riding through these towns for mm-hmm. them. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, there's a whole lot of, you know, sort of weird kind of counterculture stuff going on uh, there as well. And you do see this as a precursor to what ends up happening with the 60s and the real sort of like, I do not want to participate in the American dream. And, uh, well, how dare you? Well, you must be a communist, right? And, of course, many who did not wish to do so in the 60s were communists, but many of them were not. They just wanted to do something else and got painted with the same brush. So, uh, well, there you go. Um, Anything else you guys are just um, really dying to talk about regarding this film? Um, All all of these bikers are in love with each other, right? Yeah, I think so. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, I I just want to throw that out there. Again, it kind of speaks to Bigelow's interests and the ways in which uh, uh, a lot of uh, toxically masculine behaviors just come from dudes not knowing how to hug each other. Yeah. 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 I I totally agree. Yeah, but uh, do, do we have? Does anybody have any thoughts on the the ending of this film that we've already touched on? The kind of the nihilism of that moment. No, I mean it's sad. I mean you know it's terrible, the tragic, it's tragic. Yeah, but Defoe's just like, man, all right, you know, and I'm just like. That's that that shows the sort of disregard, the dehumanization, you know, that's sort of gone on on both sides of that culture. The dehumanization where everyone in that town knows that dark secret and doesn't do anything about it, being just as bad as someone watching someone kill themselves. I'm like, well, all right. I mean, it, 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 there's sort of an equivocation that goes on there. And uh, but yeah, that's about. Yeah, the film doesn't let anybody off the hook. I, I think this film uh, fully recognizes and uh, points out just how shitty basically everyone in the film is there there are no good guys here yeah our rape victim's the only hero really and she's a racist and she's a racist not again not to you know equivocate at all but uh, of course even the person who is the most sympathetic still got her own shit that she's working through like everybody is pretty bad uh i guess the widow that is a waitress at the diner is okay yeah, I suppose. Just really wants to have sex. Yeah. <laughs> She's so lonely. Just very lonely. Yeah. I think this is a film about loneliness in a lot of ways. I mean, again, yeah. Willem Dafoe name checks being lonely a couple of times, but I, I think everybody in this town's lonely. The the 
the guy that runs the garage and his son are both very lonely mm-hmm. uh, and talk about like being lonely. Uh, it's, we haven't even talked about like, the, uh, the, the lone female member of the biker gang, um, is actively uh turning tricks for mm-hmm. road money and at, at first it seems like this might be a bit of drama and it kind of gets referenced nonchalantly that her boyfriend and all the other bikers know about it yeah. and it's just it's a bizarre film <laughs> it's yeah. a bizarre nihilist it's a bizarre nihilistic film it really is yeah it, it does it does a, the best it can to avoid commentary you know it really is it does kind of just put stuff out there and let it lie which is interesting sometimes but i guess i i don't know i, I guess i need a little bit more Sub- I guess I need more substance if we're going to do that. If no. we're going to be, you know, have this much, I guess I need the performances to be better. I need the visuals to have more panache, or you know. I, I think the I think the casting was is probably the, the weakest point. I think yeah. if you have a more dynamic cast, you can pull off what this film is trying to do. Yeah. All righty. Well, let's move on to the uh, conclusion of our show, in which we render a verdict regarding this film, shelf or trash. Else, or instead, I'm curious to see what my dear co-hosts say. Arthur Gordon, I go to you first. Please say shelf or trash. Else, or instead, for the loveless. Oh, I, 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 I'm going to say trash. I think um, you don't have to see this one. And there, there are two types of uh, filmmaking careers. There are filmmakers who start off with the masterpiece and then just kind of go on from there, or you have filmmakers who uh, start, you know, kind of basic or not necessarily, I don't want to say weak, but they're, uh, they're just kind of starting their craft and, and they peak much later. And I think that's where Bigelow is. You know, she would make some great films after this and, and some staples of genre film of action filmmaking, some, uh, kind of prestige films that resonate to this day, I think politically, uh, and and so I I don't think you need to watch this one though. I, I, if if you're interested in being a Bigelow completionist, yeah, definitely check it out. But uh, it's not worth going out to see. Um, I think else instead instead I rarely trash things. I think so. Um, instead of this, I would go out. I've got a three B marathon for you about uh, uh, about uh, outlaws on the fringes of society. I think you watch Badlands uh, from Malik. You get that influence there. I think you watch Jean Luc Godard's Breathless, um, and and then you see some of that new wave influence. Uh, and then finally, you wrap it up with uh, Arthur Penn's Bonnie and Clyde, which really kind of kicks off the ultra violent American wave of this kind of not new wave, but uh, the new Hollywood. And so. Um, uh, check those movies out because I think they're all kind of interesting outsider stories about people searching for something and, and not necessarily finding it and, and how society views all of that. All right. Well, thank you very much for that, Mr. Arthur Gordon. What do you say, Mr. Don Stewart? Shell for trash elsewhere instead. I am also going to have to trash this. Um, I, and I, I kind of consider myself a big low completionist. I plan on getting to some of those harder to find films someday, but yeah, this is just no good. You know what you should do? Instead of watching The Loveless, skip to her her directorial debut where she's credited alone for the first time. Check out Near Dark, uh, which I think is doing a lot of the same things. It's, you know, using biker culture to kind of talk about yeah, the way America never really evolved out of the Wild West in some ways. Um, yeah, it's just it's a much more interesting film. Yeah, it's more exciting film. It's got vampires in it, obviously. It's more exciting. But I just think it's... It is a much clearer through line for the rest of her career than The Loveless, and uh, it's a hell of a lot more fun. So I would definitely watch Near Dark instead. Um, if you want a, a different biker movie about counterculture, watch Easy Rider. It's it's great. You know, people are still talking about Easy Rider for obvious reasons. People are not still talking about Loveless for obvious reasons. Sometimes you find a buried gem. Not in, not in this case. Uh, the, the best biker movie is still Easy Rider, probably. Uh, finally, if you just want a sillier funner more delightful road movie check out Smokey and the bandit um yeah i mean if, the, if that's what you, you need if you want people riding around because that's what i thought this movie was gonna be uh if you want to see people riding around doing silly stuff on the road check out Smokey and the bandit so th- yeah don't don't need to watch this movie there are better films doing similar things and there are better films from this director there you go. Thank you very much for that, Mr. Donald Stewart. I am also going to say trash. I do think the film is worth watching. I, I don't want to say it's a total pass, but I don't think it's worth owning. And, uh, you know, I, I do think it's good. Uh, hey, to I, see I it. guess if you're curious, it's it's worth checking yeah. out. But it's it's 
don't drop everything you're doing. No. Go, go see First Reformed, right? There's other shit going There's on right lots now. Lots of things happening. That you yeah. need to prioritize over this movie. But, I mean, aesthetically, it is interesting. You know, uh, the 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 rockabilly, the sort of look of the film, just seeing Young Defoe. I mean, all those things. There are certain pleasures with the film, even though it is a mess in other ways. Uh, I'm going to recommend uh, two other films. One of them is a short film. We've already talked about Kenneth Anger's uh, Scorpio Rising. I think you absolutely need to take a look at and uh, sort of place in context with this film. And that in Scorpio Rising is just a very, very important short film. And Kenneth Anger is a very important director. And so, yeah, check that stuff out. Uh, then I think I'm going to also recommend the movie I thought this was, the movie in which the biker gang goes into a town and takes over. Uh, we did not get that uh, in the case of this. So um, Laura Dern's dad's his name is Bruce Dern. Bruce Dern and Peter Fonda and Nancy Sinatra are in the film called The Wild Angels. And uh, it is a uh, Looney Tunes uh, film. It is uh, it is troubling. It's got the racial politics. It's got the gender politics and the, the ways in which those are all troubling. But it's also, in some ways, a real-to-life sort of uh, representation of what you're seeing in the Hells Angels. There's a lot of Nazi imagery uh, being used in the film. But what happens, uh, and I'll go ahead and give away this as a spoiler, uh, Bruce Dern dies, and he's from the small town. And so they go up to this town to uh, bury him, and they have a little hoot nanny uh, while they're at it um, in this um, sort of northern California small town and uh, just, you know, wreak havoc which is what i thought this movie was going to be and uh yeah it, it's interesting i don't i won't say it's fun i won't say it's good but i do think it's an interesting pairing and it's a, a good exemplar of that 60s uh sort of exploitation um cinema trope of the biker movie that is probably uh, worth checking out so well there you go dear listener those are our thoughts your syllabus just got longer i guess we're gonna do one more show that's what dalton keeps saying so and, and and not just uh, well let's see it was one more show uh, and then we'll do a marathon so the, the next show is a standalone right? yes and then we're doing a marathon and and what are we doing next well we wanted vehicular action and we're getting vehicular action damn right because next week we're gonna watch Transformers F- no nope, we already did that oh, and never going luckily back I missed that one uh, next week we are gonna do F Gary Gray's remake of the Italian Job. We're going to get some Marky Mark, um, and we're going to get some uh, Charlize Theron. Uh, we're going to get some Jason Statham. Uh, hope you're prepared to... for me to do a lot of Marky Mark impressions. Oh, I am prepared my heart of hearts for that Marky Mark. I can ever be prepared, but I'll be okay. Marky Mark Remarks. Dalton's new segment next week. Hi, welcome to Marky Mark Remarks. <laughs> I bet you didn't think I could fucking do that in this, in this Mini Koopa, did you? <laughs> oh, you boy. have to do the entire episode like that next week. The entire show in the Marvel. I'm, I'm just a killer who looks like a good guy. <laughs> it's a line he has. Have you guys seen the trailer? Oh, that's right. a lisp, you, you would sound like Mike Tyson. You guys saw the trailer. We saw the trailer for uh, 22 Miles or whatever it's called. Yeah, something like that. Uh, mile 22 or whatever. Yeah. Uh, they show the trailer for that Hereditary. <laughs> and the entire time, I was cackling. And it's got... Um, I don't know how to say his name. The lead from the Raid films, who I do love. Oh, yeah, yeah. Just oh, yeah, yeah. beating up on some guys. And that even that cannot get me to watch that movie because it looks absolutely absurd. Yeah, it looks bad. It's good trash. All I'm saying it, is if it was me with my kids on that plane, I don't know. Things might have gone down differently. <laughs> okay, well. Um, That's a real thing Mark Wahlberg said, everybody. Never for, I, you, Look, there's two things you can never forget. <laughs> 9-11 and that Mark Wahlberg said he could have stopped 9-11. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking idiot. I don't care if he punches me in the face. He didn't hit. He didn't hit Andy Samberg. He's not going to hit me. That's all I'm saying. You should go buy one of his brother's hamburgers and throw it at him. You know what? I would much rather hang out with Donnie Wahlberg than Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> you're more Stay. likely to hang out with Donnie Wahlberg That's too. True. You're absolutely right. <laughs> Wowzers. Um, well, hey, you know, I'll tell you what I found out is a conversation about movies is always fun, even when you don't love the movie, as was the case with The Love Less. Uh, we did love it less than other things that we have seen, and that is okay because the conversation made it all worthwhile. That's what we do and why we keep doing what we're doing. So you keep watching. We'll keep talking, and we'll see you all next time. Thanks for tuning into the Good Trash Honor Cast. The Good Trash Honor Cast is a product of Good Trash Media. 
For more info on everything Good Trash, head on over to GoodTrashMedia.com. Our intro music, as always, is an original composition by friend of the show, Aaron Rodgers. And our outro music this week is Relentless, written and performed by Eddie Dixon. I'm the source of all sorrow A jack of all trades I'm here and gone tomorrow I never leave a trace I'm relentless I'm never satisfied I'll be relentless Until the day that I die Like the blackjack table A loaded paradise You better look out, cat I'll kill you twice, yeah, I'm relentless, uh uh-huh. I never had to worry About the state of affairs With any cool little mama When we have hair I pick them up in the morning And drop them off at night before they know what's a happen Man, I'm out of sight Now look, you got a little girl And you see me hanging around You better lock her up tight now Oh, get out of town Cause I'm relentless I'm never satisfied I'll be relentless the day that I die Like the blackjack table A loaded paradise You better look out, cat I'll kill you twice Yeah, I'm relentless, uh uh-huh. I'm relentless, uh-huh. Oh, yeah Well, I'm relentless, uh uh-huh. Oh, yeah Well, I'm relentless, uh uh-huh. Oh, yeah